Before we dive into the episode, I have an extremely exciting announcement to make. I am hosting a free masterclass entitled The Three Productivity Secrets You Cannot Afford to Miss. Now, hold on. I'm not talking about the kind of productivity where you jam even more things into your already busy, busy week so you can feel more overwhelmed and busy and more like a chicken with your head cut off. No, I am talking about the kind of productivity that opens up hours in your week for you to do more of what you love, that allows you to feel at peace and at ease rather than frantic and like everything's an emergency, and the kind of productivity that works with your brain and its strengths rather than against it. Plus, I'm talking about the kind of productivity that opens up even more space for you to rest. Yes, we will be talking about how to overcome rest guilt on the masterclass. Please join us for this free masterclass on June 23rd. You can save your seat by going to lifecoachbaker.com forward slash productivity or by clicking the link in the show notes. Now let's go on to the episode. A lot of it has to do with finding a workplace that works with your ADHD. Yeah. So sometimes it's, you know, people with ADHD sometimes tend to be night owls. So finding a job that has a little more flexible work hours, like you can go in at 10 and, and leave at like six oh, um, or has like flex, flex time. And then also having a job where you're doing different things during the day. Welcome to the Life Coach Baker Podcast. I'm Nicole Baker, life coach for perfectionists who want to set goals and actually follow through with them. I went to my first personal development seminar at the age of one. Yes, I was quite literally born into this industry. But by 15, I started to implement this mindset mumbo jumbo I'd heard so much about and it worked. As a recovering perfectionist myself, I've been able to set goals that are way out of my comfort zone and achieve them by doing things imperfectly, without self-judgment, and without the fear of their opinions. And now I help others to do the same. So if you are capital D done feeling like a hostage to this a-hole called perfectionism, then this show is for you. My goal is for you to leave each episode with tactical action steps that you can start to implement in your life Now, I may be in my 20s. I may have the voice of a sassier Cinderella, but I've been doing this personal development-ish since I was a toddler. So let's dive in. What is up, my sweet friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Life Coach Baker podcast. And today I'm just like, I am smiling from ear to ear because we have the incredible and I mean, literally at this, like at the center of my core, I mean this phrase, dream guest, Dr. Stephanie Sarkis. Dr. Stephanie Sarkis is a psychotherapist specializing in ADHD, anxiety, and narcissistic abuse. She's also the best-selling author of seven books on gaslighting, ADHD, and her eighth book is coming out in July, all about healing from toxic relationships. I originally heard Dr. Sarkis on a podcast about a year ago, and I listened to that podcast minimum four times, I think. Um, she is such she has such a gift, and, and she has many, many degrees of practice doing this, of explaining ADHD, gaslighting, these really heavy topics that can be very filled with science and deep in emotion 
she has such a good way of explaining them where it's so, I don't want to say easy, but it's so like, yeah, this is what you might have and that's okay. Very inclusive and very, just so incredibly beautiful. And I think I've mentioned it a few times on the show. We'll talk about it a lot today though. Um, My partner has ADHD and learning that was a big change in our relationship. Seeing him go on medication, seeing him um, uncover what ADHD had cost him in the past, what it was, what he was struggling with right in the current moments and now overcoming them and finding his own special cocktail of what to do. It was so amazing to see and witness in real time. And then to be able to listen to Dr. Sarkis, not only in the podcast I listened to like 4,000 times, but then to be able to interview her about questions I've heard from this community. ADHD is a very highly requested topic because it's it's something that goes really hand in hand with perfectionism. And we'll talk about that a lot on the show today, but also just like having my own personal experience with seeing someone with it. I think that there's a big difference between experiencing it on your own and seeing someone go through it. And we'll talk about that a lot on today's episode. And you'll actually hear from a very, 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 very special guest that you finally get to meet about halfway through the episode. I wonder who it could be. (laughs) But Dr. Sarkis, in addition to being a best-selling author and a psychotherapist, she's also an American Mental Health Counselors Association diplomat and clinical mental health specialist in child and adolescent counseling. This is a big deal because she's one of only 20 in the U.S. That's insane. She's a big deal. I'm amazed. I'm amazed that she's on the show. She's also the founder of the Moulton Farnsworth Scholarship for college students with ADHD. She's also just period the most delightful human you could ever imagine and has a 10 out of 10 recommendation on dogs. She's so literally we hopped on the phone and before we press record, I got to meet her new puppy. I got to meet her old her older dog and it, she's just so full of love and light. And it was just one of the most informative conversations I could have ever experienced on the show. So enough of the teasing. Let's get right into this juicy, juicy episode with the brilliant Dr. Stephanie Sarkis. Welcome, Dr. Sarkis, to the Life Coach Baker podcast. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. I'm going to pretend for a second like we haven't been just talking for like 30 minutes. Right. <laughs> I know. I do that too. Yeah. Oh, and then I my nose it. itches. I'm like, oh no, also my nose itch like right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we gotta love it. At least that's why it's audio, right? No one, no one can tell right. our nose is itches. Right. Um, <laughs> I would love to, before we even dive into ADHD, what it is, all that good stuff. I want to hear a little bit of background. How did you come to this work? Cause you've done books on books on books on these subjects. How did you, yeah. How did you come to this work? What brought you here? What interested me first in ADHD is that I have it, um, and then um, various members of my family have it, um, and then it's it's really um, kind of colored my life in different ways. I think by having it and then going through through high school, graduate school, um, knowing that I had to, you know, feeling like I had to work five times as hard as everyone else, and like get half the amount of work done. Yeah. Um, because I wasn't formally, I mean, I knew I had it, but I wasn't formally diagnosed and got medicine until I was about 23. So, um, so I've been on meds for about 20. Well, now I'm older than that. So I'm like 25 years yeah. now. Um, and 
I think that there are a lot of really great therapists that specialize in the ADHD that don't have it. Yeah. I think there is an advantage to kind of that you've walked the walk and you know what it's like. Um, and so I started specializing that when I started practicing, which was in, uh, let's see if I got my, my full license in 2000. Um, and then, uh, and then how I got on the toxic relationships thing is I noticed a lot of people, especially like about five, six years ago, uh, people with ADHD reporting to me that they were, um, they were having issues in their relationship that mm-hmm. sounded a lot like emotional abuse. Um, so that's how gaslighting and then the toxic relationships book that comes out in July. That's where that came from. But ADHD overall, I think um, I also uh, just dove into the research that was going on at the time. And right around that time, we knew that there was adult ADHD, but there's still much more research coming out. So I think that the time that I graduated with my um, with my master's and specialist um, degree, so that was in 97, um, that's when... I think that there was a lot of research coming out, especially Barkley looking at ADHD as a disorder of not inattention, but a disorder of motivation. So the attention piece is that if you have ADHD, and I think you touched on this in the questions you sent, so um, is that the hyper-focus is a symptom of ADHD, just like a lack of focus. And so ADHD isn't a problem with attention because you can have a laser sharp attention yeah. when it's something you're really into, but it's getting the brain switched off of that onto something else. Or uh, if you're hyper-focused on something, you can't even hear your name being called. Yeah. So it can be a detriment to you like personally and professionally. So I think right around that time, I think that the, a lot of the research is coming out and Barclay's like the guy of ADHD. So I recommend that people read any of his work because it's pretty amazing. Um, and, um, and I think that's kind of, it's always interested me. Um, and so that's kind of where that started. And then I, I first saw kids and then, um, and I had a playroom, play therapy room, obviously with telehealth, you can't really do play therapy. You can kind of do it, but it's a little, you know, different on video. Send them some um, Legos. So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, here's a Lego. Yeah. Um, and, um, so, so then I, I then started working with teenagers and and people going to college, the young adults, because I saw quite a few people that were doing okay in school, but then they hit a wall in college because mm-hmm. in college you're left to your own devices to get to class, to set up a study schedule. And when high school, you have seven classes, you know, where you're supposed to be. Yeah. If you're not there, they call your parents. And so you're kind of held to, you know, pockets of time that you have to show up, you're accountable for that. But in college, if you're left your own devices, especially with untreated ADHD, a lot of people sometimes even realize they have it, especially if they have high IQs, Yeah, uh, because you're able to compensate. If you have a higher IQ, you're able to compensate more for ADHD. Like you're able to come up with tips and tricks to, to make life easier. But at some point, everybody hits a wall. Yeah. That what they've been trying to do just doesn't cover them anymore. And a lot of people find that's in college, particularly women with ADHD are diagnosed and um, more on college age mm-hmm. uh, because women with ADHD, some of that's social. So if a, a boy in an elementary school classroom acts out, it's sometimes reinforced by peers. Like it's class clown stuff, right? Yeah. So, so that child tends to be identified quicker than when girls speak out in class. A lot of times their peer group says, you know, we don't do that. 
we, oh, we need to, man. you know, we don't speak out like that. Yeah. And so it's kind of internalized. And so you can have women with ADHD that go all the way through their lives without being diagnosed. Well, I, I, I'm curious on that. Cause it's like, do you, do you find that it is pretty common that women get diagnosed later in life than men, or is it not that, but especially that? when I first saw I've been practicing for over 20 years now in the beginning, I did see a lot of that where women weren't diagnosed to later. Fortunately, I've been seeing more as time has gone on more women kind of being uh, caught, you know, caught quote unquote yeah. uh, with ADHD in an earlier age. So I think there are advances going on in that. Um, the research in the very, very beginning. So we're talking about like 40, 50 years ago, uh, had a lot more males with ADHD, uh, pediatric, um, in the research. And then it wasn't thought that it wasn't in girls. It's just, again, girls tended to internalize it more. Totally. Um, and there's a little bit of a different brain development too, but you know, as time has gone on, you do see more and more girls in the pediatric research in ADHD. So, so things are changing. Well, and I, I know you've talked about how the later on in life you're diagnosed, the more, um, I'm going to call limiting beliefs or more, um, disorders, maybe, I don't know if that's the right word here, mm -hmm. but you can develop like perfectionism, which is this whole podcast mm -hmm. or like even anxiety right. or, or depression. Mm -hmm. Do you see that a lot more common in women with ADHD than men, or is it pretty 50, 50, would you say? I say it's pretty equal. I think it all depends on the individual case, but I do mm -hmm. see perfectionism quite a bit as a, as kind of a consequence or as a, a compensation for ADHD. Can In fact, when I, case? yeah, when I have um, new clients that contact me um, and they, they sign into my patient portal when I first, you know, set up an appointment with them, um, I will send them a perfectionism uh, assessment test. Oh, interesting. Because that's such a common theme with people Yeah, um, that it's almost like we have a hard time regulating attention. So we also have a hard time regulating, um, kind of going over compensating. Yeah. That makes sense. So we overcompensate for having ADHD and part of that's perfectionism. Yeah. Or if you've gotten in trouble in class because your, your you know, work, you were told your work was messy. And so now you kind of overdo it by making sure it's completely neat. And then you feel like you get paralyzed because you can't continue because, you know, you, you start doing it and you're like, you know what, this is not what I need to turn in. This isn't my best work. And, and some of that is internalized from hearing things from, from classmates and teachers and just society in general saying that you're doing something wrong. And so we can kind of become perfectionists as to, you know, we want to do it the, you know, quote unquote, right way. Yeah. And so we will kind of get paralyzed and even have a hard time just starting on something. And then starting on something is also a symptom of ADHD. So sometimes it can be kind of tricky to catch the perfectionism, oh, but I've seen kids and adults that would um, erase so hard when, when they were writing that they would put a hole in the paper um, because of just that trying to get things right. Oh. Oh my God. I have like 15 questions that just popped in my head. Like, okay. is there, <laughs> so when it comes to, why do you think perfectionism is so hand in hand with ADHD? Like, do you think it's just like that high stress environment? Do you think it is like, I'm trying to, um, be like everyone else. So I have to overcompensate. Like, why do you think they do go so hand in hand? I think it depends on the case, but I think there's, there's a few common factors. One is that if you have ADHD, you are more likely to have other brain issues. And I, mm -hmm. I call 
mental illness, I call it brain issues because the term mental illness, I mean, it's brain stuff is just as medical as like breaking your leg or diabetes. So I just call it brain issues. So if you have ADHD, you're more likely to have other brain issues like OCD. Yeah. Um, If you have ADHD, you have about a 30% overlap with OCD. And part of OCD can be um, having that kind of perfectionistic bent. It looks like it's flavored a little differently than, than perfectionism. But you can have that. Um, you can also have, you know, that overcompensation. Uh, and again, you know, because the regulation, the motivation regulation is kind of off, it would make sense that, you know, when you compensate, you're kind of doing that too much or too little too. Oof. So I think that's kind of the the part of it that I see more prevalent is that um, it's a way to compensate that you also have taken a self-esteem hit from really early age. So Um, self-esteem starts taking a hit even in kindergarten, preschool, uh, because if you're in preschool with ADHD, you may get kicked out of multiple preschools. You have difficulties with social issues. And so you're always trying to like get things right and not quite knowing why. And perfectionism is one of the ways that we do that is that, well, I've been doing it wrong. So I'm going to figure out how to do it right. And so it's kind of like, well, is this good enough? And you're told no. And you're like, is this good enough? You're still told no. And so you, you kind of try to meet expectations um, that are unrealistic um, because other people put unrealistic expectations yeah. on you. Um, and then it becomes an internalized thing of, of I'm not good enough. I have to you know, go above and beyond and I have to be almost perfect in order yeah. to not be looked as having um, issues. Mm-hmm. Oh, that self-esteem gosh. really takes a hit. I mean, the, the older yeah. you get, the more there's a separation between you and your peers, as far as academic performance and also social skills. Yeah. So, but I do see some people, they actually have beautiful social skills, but for a lot of people, they feel kind of like, um, I wasn't in line when the social skills manuals were handed out, Mm. you know, like, like what's the secret code that everybody knows. Um, and, and part of that is, you know, getting criticized by your peers. Like, why is your work so messy? Why, you know, when you do a math problem or all your, you know, your spacing's off and all your numbers are on one little corner of the page. Um, and, and part of that also gets into OT issues, occupational therapy issues with holding your pencil too tight. And that kind of goes along with ADHD as well. So there's a couple different factors at play as to why it may be more common, but I do see a lot of it as like, it's a overcompensation and also anxiety happens with ADHD yeah. about 50% of the time. So there's, that Oh my God. <laughs> So, wow. so you have, and in some studies, it's even been a, a 75 to 80% comorbidity rate. So having both at the same time. So there's that piece too. There's performance wow. anxiety. So especially if you are, uh, if you have a proctor walking around the room, or you're taking a test, people with ADHD will have heightened anxiety yeah. uh, with that. And that can lead to perfectionism. Uh, and then there's that critical voice that, you know, it, again, is the repeat of what you've been told growing up that this isn't good enough and you're yeah. not good enough. Um, and so I really work with people using cognitive behavioral therapy and, and, and uh, solution focused therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy, dialectical behavior therapy yeah. uh, to kind of change that inner voice Yeah, because we're our own worst critics a lot of times. So, um, and what we tell ourselves really is not in our best interest, but it's understandable yeah. that we would have negative self-talk because that's what people with ADHD have heard a lot of during their lives. Do you think a lot of that is because of, I mean, I don't, I feel like 20 years ago, at least when, you know, my generation was kind of like growing up, we didn't have a lot of 
parental units knowing about ADHD, know the signs, mm-hmm. look for these, blah, blah, blah. It was just like, can you not sit still? Here's a fidget spinner. Here's some Play-Doh. I remember everyone mm-hmm. had, or not everyone. I remember specific kids in my class had like Play-Doh to play with. And like, that was their ADHD cure, heavy air quotes there. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you think a lot of that like self-esteem stuff comes from people just not knowing how to like what to look for back then? Or do you think it's just different? I, or do you think I it's think different? That, I think that's a really good point. I, I would say that I, that probably is part of it is that we, we try to do the least invasive thing first to help. Um, so if we see our kids having a hard time, we do what is going to cause the least amount of possible stigma. Yeah. And so if they have something to fidget with, that helps a lot of people having something to fidget with, especially people with ADHD um, or, um, or for adults, people will have like, they'll do like crochet or knitting while they're mm-hmm. watching a show because they can't sit still. Because if you have any movement that you're doing, it stimulates the cerebellum, which improves frontal lobe function and frontal lobe function, executive function is what's impaired in ADHD. So, oh my um, gosh. so there, there is something to that movement stuff. So, um, so like when I write books, I sit on a Pilates ball, which you can probably maybe see behind me. Um, and, uh, and that really helps that movement piece. So you're not moving in other ways or being as distracted. Um, also the earlier you're on medication, so stimulant medication, mm-hmm. uh, the better quality of life you have. Oh, really? So success begets success. Yeah. So, um, it would be interesting to see perfectionism and how prevalent it is when people have been diagnosed and treated earlier in life, Yeah, uh, just because of the, the self-esteem of, you know, you're working to your potential. There's this loss of potential that happens. I had mentioned earlier that there's a gap between what you should be able to do and what you're doing. So you have like a, you have like a 120 IQ, but you're not able to perform at that level. Okay. And you can see that in testing. So um, so a, a lot of, of success in life is getting your stuff treated early, because mm-hmm. if you have ADHD and it's untreated, you also have a six times higher rate of substance abuse. Oh my gosh. So you're missing, you know, you're low in brain chemicals. So you try to find a way to raise them, whether you realize it or not. And that yeah. involves risky behavior, risky sexual behavior, um, you know, compulsive behavior. And I don't mean like OCD, just yeah. um, like, like we talk about retail therapy that boosts your serotonin. Yeah. Um, also binge eating increases, uh, bulimia increases. Um, and so you have a lot of other things that go along with if you're not diagnosed, but if you're put on stimulant medication, if you're prescribed it earlier on your risk rate for substance abuse drops back down to zero. The same oh as a control, gosh. almost zero, I should say, almost the same as a control group because your brain's getting those chemical it needs. It's getting enough dopamine, it's getting enough serotonin, and enough norepinephrine. So, so it, the earlier you're diagnosed, the better. So, yeah. yeah, I think what to your point, I think that yes, there is a, a percentage that maybe people don't know about ADHD or you, you want to do the least invasive because you don't want the possible stigma. Because mm-hmm. unfortunately, any brain issue, there's stigma with it. Yeah. Um, because we don't have a blood or saliva test that tells you of ADHD. I mean, that is in the works for depression, but oh, really? not so far for ADHD. Yeah. So I think when we do have concrete blood saliva tests that tell us here's your genetic type of ADHD, just like they're going to have one that says, what's your genetic type of depression? Yeah. Um, I think that that probably the stigma will lessen. Um, and, but I think it's still there. Uh, so, so I think that that's part of it too, is that, that there's concerns about, um, 
you want, don't want your kid to have to, you don't want your kid to stand out with something yeah. um, because that's like every parent wants their kid to be as comfortable as possible. Yeah. Right. So, um, but I think also when you do get diagnosed early, you're also able to get things like accommodations in school, which mean that you're mm-hmm. able to have an equal, you know, even playing field with kids without ADHD. Yeah. So you're given extended time on tests, but you can also get all the way into college. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can really help with some of the issues that you, you have with ADHD, which is, you know, doing long testing periods is really taxing on the brain. Yeah. I, I remember my fiance, he would tell me just like about the, like the horror of thinking like, okay, like I'm about halfway through, I'm almost there. And the bell rings. And he's like, yeah. no, oh my God, no, no, no. And he didn't get diagnosed until way later in life. And when he started mm-hmm. taking meds, he was like, it was like waking up for the first or putting on glasses for the yeah. first time is how he, how he phrased yeah. it. Yeah. He's like, oh my God, uh-huh. this is how people feel. And it's like, mm-hmm. like, it's so wild being on the outside, looking at it and just being like, oh my God, like, I just, I can't even imagine what's happening in your brain right now. That, did you know him? But so you don't have to answer. You don't want to talk about Did you know him before medication? I did. So I've known him okay. 10 years. I knew him six years before medication and now four years with medication. I think that and, math and is correct. What do you, what do you notice? Calm. <laughs> Just calm. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Confidence. Also, I think a big one is confidence. Like he, mm-hmm. when it was before that, that like heightened, um, like I need to make sure I'm fitting in. I need to make sure I'm, I'm mm-hmm. pleasing other people. He, he used to have a lot of, a lot of people pleaser techniques and a yeah. lot of perfectionism. And mm-hmm. when he started taking meds, it was like, Oh, I can start doing this. Or he would start like calming down a little bit more. He still has quite a bit of hyper-focus, which mm-hmm. sometimes is to his advantage. Sometimes is to his detriment. Right. And, right. um, it, it, but it really, it changed how he walks into a room. I, I, it was like a mm-hmm. night and day difference. Yeah. yeah um, and especially amazing. now that he's had it for a while and he's kind of like learned, okay, mm-hmm. here's the trick with this. Here's how I can uh, right. sleep at night. Like you and I were talking about beforehand. Mm-hmm. So that was mm-hmm. kind of a, um, a weird side effect, but it was, it was just, it was massive seeing the difference in him. And I have a few friends who same thing. It was like, all of them said some form of it's like putting on glasses for the first time. Right. And you see how other brains work. Yeah. Yeah. So stimulant medications are working the way they're supposed to. Cause I'll just add that, you know, everything has side effects. I mean, side effect of you and I talking is that we're not outside right now. Yeah. Right. So everything's (laughs) got a side effect. So, um, so with, with stimulants, you have, um, you can have side effects just like with everything else, but uh, if they're working the way they're supposed to, people find that that they can just do stuff without having to think about it first. Yeah. There's a lot of thinking about stuff that goes, that comes into play. You have to figure out what are you missing? And, and when you find out you have, you take medicine for the first time, it's kind of like the missing puzzle piece fits yeah. in. Now I know why, and this happens when people are diagnosed, not just medicated, but you know, now I know why this happened to me in life or why it was so hard for me to do this or why this was a challenge. Yeah. Um, and there's kind of two schools of thought. One is that ADHD is a gift and one is it's a pathology. And, and most people are somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I lean towards the, it's a pathology that, yeah. And solution focused therapy, I look at what's going well, like yeah. perfectionism. When does perfectionism not rear its ugly head as much? Yeah. When is it better? Is it with certain teachers? Is it certain times a day even? Like, does it happen more when you're tired? Um, you know, when your medicine wears off, when does it happen? So that's that's one of the things I kind of talk about is, is let's figure out when you don't have it. 
But on that the continuum, you know, ADHD is highly inheritable. So if you have ADHD, there's a 75% chance at least one of your parents carries the gene for it. So, so there are several genes that have been identified for ADHD, and you can see it through if you know if someone has a family history, you can see it back through generations very Didn't- clearly. I heard you on a podcast. And I think you were talking about how you had like way, way, way back in oh, the yeah. line, how he was like in trial or something. Can you, can you tell that story? Yes, sure. Sure. So, um, so that's, that's amazing. You have a good memory. Thank um, you. <laughs> so it's, um, uh, so in the 1600s, um, and actually I found a more ancestor than ADHD since you saw that, um, <laughs> there was a, a guy in my family that did the Paul Revere thing before it was cool. Um, and he in true ADHD style, like maybe told a few too many people that the British were coming. Now they weren't, they didn't call them the British back then because, you know, yeah, everybody was British. So, so, <laughs> but he told too many people like, Hey, this is what we're going to do if they show up. And, and, and so he was um, caught and he was tried for treason by the King and he was um, sentenced to, to, um, to prison in the tower of London. So they were going to ship him over to the tower of London, imprison him there. And just like, you know, so, oh, um, let me back up first. First, they were going to, he was going to be hung, drawn, and quartered. So they were going to do all these horrible things to him. And um, in the court, yeah, in the court transcripts, it actually says that he was frank to the point of brashness, meaning that he kind of spoke before he thought about it. Yeah. And he was interrupting the judge on the stand. So that's kind of some ADHD behavior. And the people of the town, when they heard he was going to be hung or quartered, they said, hey, you know, don't kill him. He's a really cool guy. He helps everybody out. And I mean, I'm biased, but I think people the ADHD have great personalities. I agree. (laughs) Yeah. And like that's that people pleasing end. You know, we really like to help people out. So they said, hey, you know what? So he gets drunk in a bar fight sometimes, but, you know, he helps everybody build their barn and he'll like watch people's horses for him. And he's like a really good guy. And so then they said, okay, well, now we're not going to kill him. We're just going to put him in Tower of London. Okay. And I don't know what happened to Tower of London, but I'm assuming that his ADHD was just like a lot. So they, they extradited him back to the U.S. And that's where he lived out the rest of his life. Um, but I also had two. Oh, go ahead. I just know I'm just cackling. I think that is the funniest story. Like, it's just wild to see like that you have a literal transcript and, and I think it's like, unusual. So if families, if, you, if your family doesn't have that, that's totally okay. Yeah. I think that's unusual. That, that kind of level of doc, but it's a court case. There's a lot of documentation. Totally. I also had, um, yeah, another uh, ancestor of mine, she was whipped at the post for fornicating before marriage was her charge. And oh people gosh. with ADHD, um, have a higher rate of, of, um, of STDs. They have a higher rate of risky sexual behavior, more partners. Um, and so, yeah, she was, and back then, you know, that was not the social norm. Yeah. So, and then her brother also got us in trouble for some, some stuff that he did that, you know, by today's standards probably would be tame. Yeah. I can't remember what he did, but yeah, both of them. And then there are some records that the parents were, you know, having issues too. So, oh my so gosh. yeah, it's, I mean, and again, people usually don't go like, Hey, uh, back in the 1600s, my family had this, but, but if you think about, um, you know, like the Mayflower coming over yeah, and this is getting, I'm, I like history. So I'm getting history. Oh, stuff, please. But I love the first, this. The first boat that they bought, they kind of got swindled on. Right. So it wasn't the Mayflower, but another boat. And they, yeah. they like lost a bunch of money. So already like difficulty with thinking ahead, maybe impulse buy. And then they um, decide, you know, we're going to go to Virginia. So as you know, they did not hit Virginia, they hit Massachusetts, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there was something wrong in the calculation somewhere. 
And, you know, for to go, I mean, they were, they were having religious persecution, persecution, but still to go on a boat, you know, in the 1600s from England to the U S or I think they were in, in the Netherlands at that time, but anyways, they came over to the U S that's a pretty big thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and there are women that were like nine months pregnant on the ship. Their kids are born on the ship and stuff. So, I mean, that's a pretty big undertaking. So you have to have some level of adventure. Yeah. And, you know, in the first winter, more than half of them didn't survive. So, and, you know, there's again, 1600. So you can't, you can only bring so much stuff on a ship. Right. So um, they may not have had enough supplies. So I won't do any like blaming of them, but, you know, there were some, there were some choices made or some, some errors made that led to a lot of them dying. Um, and so you think about, well, it, the executive functions of planning, forethought, um, organization, like what, what could things have been like if they had access possibly to the things we have now, of course, but also what, what part of it was difficulty with pulling that all together. I mean, yeah. the, the fact that they came over all the way over is pretty amazing. So incredible. Um, yeah. And there's genetic types of ADHD. There's a type that came from um, the U S from, from England to the U S in the 1600s. There's a type that came from Germany, to the U S in the 1800s. There's a type only found in the Andes mountains of Peru because what? of geographical isolation. What's the like so, differences yeah. for that one? Like what's the things that make that a different? Genetic, I'm not right? sure what the, what the presentation of it or what it looks like, but yeah. when you are geographically isolated, you tend to have kids with people like in the, in the nearby communities. Right. So totally. because you're on a mountain. So, so that, that genetic kind of type is, is found there. I mean, there've been a lot of studies on geographical tracking of migration mm-hmm. patterns in ADHD. Well, that, that actually brings up an interesting question. Cause I know a lot of like entrepreneurs, a lot of really mm-hmm. big people in the world have ADHD or have spoken out about having it at least. And like, why do you think that is like, why do you think that people who tend to be in more CEO roles of entrepreneurship or, Mm -hmm. um, high levels of celebrity? I'm just, I'm curious. I think part of it is, is that we have difficulty again, being a person with ADHD. I mean, I speak, we as a collective, (laughs) we have difficulty, um, with the unwritten rules, the workplace, so we're just trying to like get our day together, right? We're just trying to show up on time and we're just trying to get our work done. And there's all these rules like, you know, it, it, when I was a teacher, you don't, and you just learn this through observation, which again, you're, you're trying to just pull everything together for the day. So you may not observe as much um, or just by you know, like bringing it up to people. But in a school, it's, you know, the, the manual says the principal's in charge. But what you find out is, is that the principal's administrative assistant is the one that really runs the show and the janitorial staff runs the show, the custodial staff. So those are the people you go to for stuff. Mm -hmm. And nobody really tells you that, but you have to observe it. Or like my mom was a teacher. So she told me, hey, she's like, you need to treat those people like gold. I mean, treat everybody well, but they're going to really help you out. And so you really get need to get to know them. But not everybody has a luxury of a parent being a teacher to tell them that. So, totally. so when you have ADHD and you don't know what the unwritten rules are, sometimes you decide, you know what, I'm going to go out in business for myself so I can make my own rules. Yeah. But we just need a lot of support staff to help us. So we need yeah. a lot of people that we're a good idea people, but a lot of times we need someone to help carry that idea out. 
Totally. Well, that, that, that brings me to a follow-up is like, what do you think some ADHD like superpowers are? Cause if there are people who are in a lot of those more higher, mm-hmm. higher entrepreneurship or higher, whatever roles, I would think that there's something in there that's like, that gives them an advantage or gives them an upper mm-hmm. hand. I don't, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm pulling at straws. Well, that's when we get to the ADHD is a gift thing. And the tricky part about that is, is that I don't want to underplay that this is a really serious disorder. It actually has a higher rate of suicide mm-hmm. and also has a shortened lifespan. The latest research says that if you have ADHD untreated, your life is about seven to 10 years shorter than the average person's. Oh so, um, so I want to preface it with that. Do you think it's because um, of like heightened stress and like that cortisol? Heightened, the heightened stress is part of it. You're more likely to get injured. Um, okay. You're more likely to um, to maybe not use safety equipment correctly. Mm. Uh, you're more likely to have issues with drinking and mm-hmm. substance abuse if, with untreated ADHD for the reasons I mentioned before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I think that the thing about ADHD is that, yeah, it's, I think there's a people pleasing part. And I think if it's channeled well, I think, um, again, you know, I've seen people with ADHD have beautiful social skills. Yeah. Um, and I think the ability to um, think outside the box, I think is, is helpful. But again, you know, we have to look at the fact that this is a really serious medical issue. So, um, so there's that, that piece of me that goes, you know, the solution focused therapy trained piece of me goes, here's all the stuff that goes well, but we also have to look at the stuff that's really dangerous. For yeah, people. total, totally. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And on people with ADHD can be great teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be great um, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, people, just people that like sales, except you need someone else to help you do all the detailed paperwork. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they can be great attorneys. Um, so basically I think in any profession, like I've seen a lot of accountants that have ADHD that are great. Really? So yeah. 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 Oh, so it's, um, a lot of it has to do with finding a workplace that works with your ADHD. Yeah. So sometimes it's, you know, people with ADHD sometimes tend to be night owls. So finding a job that has a little more flexible work hours, like you can go in at 10 and, and leave at like six oh, um, or has like flex, flex time. Um, and then also having a job where you're doing different things during the day, mm-hmm. like, um, like people that do sales, they go out different places um, during the day or people that work as like, um, in forestry, they go out and they're outside being outside is a real draw for people, with ADHD, anything where yeah. you can move around. A lot of desk jobs can be monotonous and like torture for people, with ADHD. My fiance, he got a standing desk and he was like, mm-hmm. <gasps> and a, a big whiteboard. So he can right. go over to the whiteboard. He has this little tablet. He can like, you know, like doodle stuff on there right. and like, get it, get it all out. And then go back to the, st- like, just like even little things like that, I've just seen, I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, like I would, would actually, that's, that's an interesting question now that I think about it other than stimulants. Cause I, if I've heard you correctly on other shows, like that's the, that's one of the number one things you'd recommend. If like, mm-hmm. if we're looking to, I'm not going to say heal, what's a work with ADHD. How would you phrase that? Um, I think heal. just uh, uh, treat, treat. Thank you. Yeah. Um, if you're looking to treat ADHD, what are some, what are some ways that you would recommend doing that? Well, medication is the most effective form of treatment in years of research. We have a lot of longitudinal research. The first stimulants were prescribed in the U.S. in the 1930s. Wow. Uh, we, have, we have decades of we have decades of research about ADHD and stimulant medication, um, and uh, and there's also non-stimulants. So stimulants are things like Adderall, Concerta, mm-hmm. um, Mideus, Adensis, um, 
Quillivant. So there's, there's a variety of different stimulants. Yeah. Um, then we have the non-stimulants, which are things like Capve, um, Intuniv, Stratera. Stratera is an antidepressant chemical structure. Um, Intuniv and Capve are originally uh, FDA indicated for high blood pressure, but they mm-hmm. were found to also be effective for ADHD. So they now have an FDA indication or kind of stamp for those. Yeah. Um, that means that they can market for that disorder. So, um, so there's those, but in head to head studies, stimulants have been found to be more effective than non-stimulants. Uh, Interesting. And, okay. Yeah. So, but for people that, that you can take and you can be prescribed stimulants and non-stimulants too at the same time. Yeah. Level. That's what my um, fiance has. Yeah. 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 So, um, so it depends on that particular person's makeup. And the thing with ADHD is that, you know, the symptoms are, they can be in varying degrees in different people. And it also yeah. depends on what else do you have that goes along with ADHD, like yeah. depression, anxiety. So, but overall stimulants have found to be more effective, but sometimes the people's bodies just based on body chemistry, you know, they can't take stimulants or they mm-hmm. prefer not to. Um, but also, um, if there's somebody in the family that's been diagnosed with ADHD and takes medication and it works for them, that's a good thing to let the prescriber know Okay, because of shared yeah. genetics, there's a better chance that that works for you. And it may be that you need to try different medicines at different doses to find the right thing for you. Now, stimulants work within about a half hour and their mm-hmm. half-life or how long they last in the system depends on if it's immediate release or extended release. Mm-hmm. If it's immediate release, it lasts a few hours. Um, and that depends also on how you metabolize stimulants. Um, and then the other ones can last like, you know, if you take it at seven, it lasts like two in the afternoon or so. And sometimes people get what's called a booster dose, which means you get an immediate uh, um, release stimulant that you take like in the afternoon to get you through like the end of the workday or if you well, have something after work. That's I literally just remembered a question mm-hmm. my fiance and I were talking about. And he was like, can you ask Dr. Sarkis about this? Because he really wants to know the answer. So around 8.30 on the dot, I mm-hmm. noticed the like kind of looking around and like, oh, like blurting out, like, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. the the old like six years that I knew him, mm-hmm. Brett would kind of come out. And I was wondering, is that a pretty common thing where it's like around the time when the ADHD med wears off, it's it's almost like a like a light switch goes off. It depends on the person. Um, the long acting stimulants, the 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 plasma concentration, the blood mm-hmm. level concentration kind of drops off slowly with the immediate release ones that kind of drop. And I'm doing hand signals in case nobody can see me, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I, but you have with the immediate release, you have more of a peak and then a, a steeper drop off. Okay. So you can have um, this kind of resuming of symptoms um, and, and that can be called rebounds. So sometimes people find that when their medicine wears off, they're tired or they're irritable or their symptoms seem so much worse. And it may mm-hmm. actually be um, that your symptoms are back to, you're back to baseline basically. Yeah. Because once the stimulants out of your system, it's out. Yeah. So the non-stimulants, you don't want to stop those cold turkey. Um, you need to talk to the doctor about backing down the dose if you want to stop them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but stimulants, at, once they're out of your system, they're out of your system. So yeah, you may see that sometimes that you're having more issues. Like there's um, people will kind of learn after a while, like what's the time period that their medicine wears off. And so they may kind of say, you know what, I need to schedule like my executive function, heavy tasks, like my stuff that involves organization or planning. I need to do those when my medicine's active. Yeah. And then I know it's going to end at about this time. So part of it too, is making sure you get enough sleep because that can kind of ease that. 
Um, also, uh, if the medicine's wearing off too early. So again, like if you're at the, in the middle of work and you know, like the last couple hours of work are just shot because you can't focus, um, then that's where you might want to talk to your doctor about getting a booster mm-hmm. dose just to get you through the afternoon hours. Oh, so, this is um, fascinating. Like, okay. um, I, I, I just, there's so many questions I have in, in this. Field. You should bring your fiance and we could like, honestly, I was like, chat. I asked him, I was like, do you want to like come and sit in? He's like, no, like, I don't want to be there. And I was like, you're, is he home? You should totally bring him in. I'm can I, text he's him comfortable. He, I was going to say, I'll text him and see if he, if he wants sure, to. Sure. Why, <laughs> um, why not? The why the not? Why not? Indeed. Before we get back to the episode, I have a few questions for you. Do you feel like no matter how hard you work, you can't get everything you want done? Or are you beating yourself up anytime you rest or take a break telling yourself you're lazy? Do you feel like you're running around with the urgency of a flippin' house fire trying to be productive 24-7? Look, I love serving my community, and many of them are dealing with these exact issues. Possibly you are too? And that's why I'm hosting a free masterclass, The Three Productivity Secrets You Cannot Afford to Miss. Now hold up. I'm not talking about do all the things and feel more like a chicken with your head cut off kind of productive. No, we live in a way too busy environment to stuff more into our bags. I am talking about working smarter, not harder. Achieving more by working less. Seriously and having more time to do more of what you love. That's the kind of productivity we're gonna cover in this masterclass. And I would love for you to join us. This free masterclass will be hosted on June 23rd and you can save your seat by going to lifecoachbaker.com forward slash productivity or by clicking the link in the show notes. I so hope to see you there. Now let's get back to the episode. We have a visitor here. Hi. Hello, Hello. I'm Stephanie. This is so cool. I also have ADHD. Oh my gosh. So um, a fellow member of the, I I like to call it the the A-team, I guess, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, that's, that's very cool. Hi, I'm Brett. Very nice to meet you. Hi, nice to meet you. We were just chatting about the 830 because I was asking her about it. Oh, the best time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Is Is that something you experienced as well? Yeah, your eight thirty is like my seven. So I was just like, I just took a booster dose like before you just showed up because I just realized, oh, I need to overlap by like a half hour with my with my Adderall. So um, yeah, but mine's mine's right around that time. So I make sure I like do like my intensive stuff like beforehand or or like like the podcast recording. I'm like, okay, I need to do it within this time frame. And right. thank you for being flexible, by the way, because we originally scheduled in the morning. And I had something that I had to do in the morning. So You're totally fine. I, no worries. But yeah, I was like, okay, if it's in this window, I think you proposed 3:30 or I did hmm. or somebody did because I knew like that's the window when I'm on. So, but like if you hit me after after like seven. Yeah, it's like, you know, I just, I can't do, unless I hyper-focus, it's harder for me to get work done. I actually haven't asked you any questions about hyper-focus, and I know that that's something you've experienced. Oh, yeah. That was on the list of questions. It was, yeah. I just, I totally (laughs) forgot about it. But do you, you, you've been the one who's experienced it more. Would you, do you have any questions on it? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, you know what? Uh, sure. It's one of those things that, uh, I'm I'm sure you, well, like you said, you experience hyper-focus. I guess my kind of question is, what is your approach to context switching out of hyper-focus? 
Um, I don't know if okay. do we have a definition of hyperfocus out. Into Actually, the- I don't think we've done a de- definition of hyperfocus. Do you Sounds mind doing good. that, Stephanie? Hyperfocus is, um, I think the best way to explain it is just like um, what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Uh, hyperfocus is that you are so laser sharp with your focus that you don't hear your name being called. You are not able to switch on other tasks. You don't hear your phone alarms. Um, you are, you're in the zone, but it's like times a hundred. So if you mm-hmm. think about like people, people, especially people that play sports and other things, they're in the zone. This is like amplify that a lot where it's detrimental. So, you know, it's kind of like, I think of like the Bugs Bunny cartoons with the anvil, like, like, falling. <laughs> yeah. at, like we would not like it's, there's a chance we would not see or hear that, you know, so yeah. that's how intense it gets. Mm-hmm. Cause that's that regulation of motivation piece that we have. That's off in the ADHD brain. So, and you were saying like, so tell me about the context. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, so something that I personally have experienced in that realm of hyper-focus has been, I am so in on a task Mm -hmm. and it is so much fun. It is very, very cool. Oh, what time is it? Oh my goodness. I've been working on this for seven hours straight Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I'm being, I'm being a little hyperbolic, but I mean, seriously, it's, I, I didn't, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I haven't eaten. Oh, I haven't. Right. Yes. I yeah. People had... realize, oh my God, I have to go to the bathroom and I haven't gone to the bathroom in like seven hours. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so like, while it can be a massive help for like, mm-hmm. okay, really got to buckle down. And if it's something that you're really interested in or really it's right. like, I, I have found that to be wonderful. But mm-hmm. getting out of that and saying, great, I'm going to, instead of working on something for, you know, four hours when I really need to right. devote maybe 30 minutes to this right now, mm-hmm. and then check in on this project and then 30 minutes on, you know, that project again, or just kind of right. going between different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think my kind of question is, what is your approach to that? Or what do you recommend mm-hmm. for First, it's effective medication treatment because we need to get our executive functions working the way that they need to work. So we are able to to focus, but not get the that level of focus because again, that can be detrimental. The other thing is having somebody that kind of what I call kicks you back into play. So mm-hmm. meaning that that you have someone that says, "Okay, hey, um, dinner time," and like kind of like jars you out of that. Um, and then <laughs> there's also like like Chrome extensions you can add that will block you from going to certain websites. So if you know you're going to go down a a, a black hole. Um, or also you can do this on your phone. There are different apps that will block. Like if you know, if you go on TikTok, you're going to be gone for like a few hours. You can block those, those apps. So that's a big thing is not getting access to that stuff. Yeah. And then having somebody that even like texting you and the person continues to text you, if you don't respond, um, having somebody that kicks you back into play really helps. And just, okay. just being, <laughs> I think the most important thing is also that you're very knowledgeable when you go into hyper-focus mode. Yeah. So, and so yeah, dividing up tasks and saying, I have this much time and sending your phone timer and setting, you know, if if it goes off and I'm here, I'm setting it, you know, five minutes later or changing the tone of your phone alarm can help, but it really helps having like an accountability person that helps you out of that. That's me. (laughs) Well, and that's, and I would also add too, for, for couples and families, I would talk it over with your accountability, not you guys in particular, but your accountability person, like make sure it's okay with that person. Cause sometimes totally. people feel comfortable in that role and sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. So, so I would just check and, and you can say to the person, you know, this, you may feel like you're babying me, but this isn't babying me. It's like, I need this. 
because some people will say, well, I don't feel comfortable. I don't want to be their parent, but it's, it's not that it's more like, Hey, um, you know, your time's up. Let's go eat dinner or something. It's not done in a punitive way. Well, I have a quick kind of, uh, follow-up to that, if that's Mm -hmm. cool. So what I have found has been, so let's say you set a timer for 25 minutes and mm-hmm. starts, you know, going off. And then all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, I don't have this project done or I don't have this thing done. And I needed right. to have it done in that 25 minute slot. So then it's like, okay, well, here, let me just, uh, maybe this will take a little bit longer. So I'll turn off the timer and then realize like way later, it's like not only- right. Maybe I finished it, but now I've let two or three other projects, you know, mm-hmm. go to the wayside. Mm-hmm. But I got that one done, but it just took longer than I expected. Right. Or, and what? Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, I will get to the, that, like, end of that block and just feel mm-hmm. terrible because I'm like, oh, no, I didn't get this done in this amount of time. What do I do? Okay. What What's your profession? I am uh, kind of on the career transition train right now, but mm-hmm. I have SaaS or, or software as a service experience uh, in, in client support, but am transitioning into the more like web 3.0 space. Oh, I actually kind of know. So my husband's a systems engineer. So I kind of sort of know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, so you amazing. have a lot of projects going on at one time. Yes, always. Okay. So for, okay. So for me, like right now I'm, you know, doing self-published work. I'm doing research. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm creating like kind of sample material for uh, okay. places that I'm applying to and interviewing and all that kind of fun mm-hmm. stuff. And for me, it's been kind of a bit of a balance game because uh, it's funny, like, especially within like, you know, the crypto cryptocurrency blockchain mm-hmm. world, there's a, honestly a joke about just how much information there is. It's like, you can mm-hmm. go down the rabbit hole so right. deeply that right. it's like, yeah, you're going to need some time to really like understand what's going on with this particular system, with this particular mm-hmm. you know community, all that, you know, whatever. And then you need but, just the right amount of focus on it, but not too much and not too little. So it's like finding that sweet spot of I can transition onto this thing. And, and, and I think sometimes too, I don't know if you find this, but, but with ADHD, like we tend to, if we have like a half hour, like, well, we're not going to do that thing because we know we, you know, we can't do just a half hour. Right. Like mm-hmm. we, yeah, we have to move on to something that we can, you know, do for a longer period of time. So part of it is kind of getting some assistance with breaking things down to smaller tasks and setting up a structured schedule. And even if we don't like, like actually color coding a schedule, and if we don't follow that exactly, that's okay. But if we have some parameters, so we tend to get more work done, we have a limited amount of time. So if you have a project that's due like the next day, I mean, we knock that out. We get it done and it's done well. But if you give us a month, you know, sometimes we'll wait to like the last week to get it done. Um, and because we need, if we're unmedicated, we need that dopamine boost or that, or that stress, the adrenaline to push us through mm-hmm. to get that done. So some of it is working on breaking tasks down to smaller bits. And I think um, like ADHD coaches can be really helpful with this, like, like going backwards and saying, okay, this piece needs to be done. This piece needs to be done. And, and uh, particularly with employers, um, instead of formal, well, let me back up. So informal accommodations are ones that you don't disclose your diagnosis 
you just kind of set up your own accommodations. So, and usually I recommend that people try that first before they go to formal accommodations and formal accommodations are like a whole nother podcast probably, but informal accommodations, <laughs> one of that could, one of those things could be that I meet with my employer on a weekly basis or even a daily basis. Some of my clients cases and my boss sets up a deadline for me along the way, or I set deadlines for myself. So if this project's due in a month. I have a deadline next week. And I have a deadline, you know, a week after that. And so you break it down to chunks and assign deadlines. And again, having an accountability person like a coach or another trusted person, you know, that you check in with can really help us not do that extended time thing yeah. and to break it down to pieces, especially in a job search. That's, that's got so many moving parts to it. So some of it is, um, you know, like using a whiteboard because we're very visual. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, totally again, awesome. having a coach that you can talk to, to help you work through stuff. Uh, maybe even, you know, talking to a therapist because that whole, the whole thing with ADHD and job search can, anytime we have transition is can be pretty rough. So there's that piece too. So not, again, not talking about you in particular, um, but I think that if you can break down tests, again, medication makes a huge difference, stimulant medication and being able to do that. And also giving ourselves a little bit of grace, meaning that, you know, we, we aren't going to be perfect at stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. we can be really great at stuff, but there's no such thing as perfect. And that's a really hard thing to come to terms with is that sometimes it's good enough just to get it done. Oh, Everyone listening, if you have ADHD or not, that is just a good life nugget to like mm-hmm. for everything. I mean, it's, we, we forget so often. I, I was, I was literally talking to a client earlier about this and it's like, grace is always the thing that we think that, oh yeah, like I'll, I'll give myself grace. I'll give myself grace. But we never remember mm-hmm. to in those moments where we need it most. Right. We're really good at giving it to other people. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> right. Even, even when, even when maybe we shouldn't, when someone's being not good to us. Right. Yeah. But yeah, being, having grace for ourselves is a really tough concept or forgiving ourselves, especially mm-hmm. with ADHD. We've been so tough on ourselves and gotten messages throughout life that we're not good enough, or there's something wrong with our brain, or, you know, we're not meeting the standard. It becomes really internalized. That's that critical yeah. voice. So a lot of like what I do in therapy is talking about getting that, that loving voice to kick in. The one that says, you know what, you got it done. That's good enough. And and that can take a lot of time to switch. It's a paradigm shift in how you think, because we think, well, you know, we need that pressure to get this thing done. Right. So we're going to be tough on ourselves, but there's a lot of side effects to that. I mean, that's why people, you know, in part have people with ADHD have more health issues is because we push ourselves so hard and we really don't give ourselves a break. So, so self-care is so important. And part of that is, yeah, forgiving ourselves and giving ourselves some grace. You and know, just having I, fun. Yes. Having, scheduling yes. fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, to kind of jump in here, I, mm-hmm. I relate to that so very, very hard. Um, mm-hmm. so I mean, simply I, and I, I super don't want to speak for you, but at least in my instance, it was, you know, an entire schooling career of, you know, conversations from teachers and from coaches mm-hmm. and from people that are just like, 
why aren't you doing this right? You're so smart. Why can't you, why can't you do that? Yeah. You should be able to do this. Why aren't you, you know, why aren't you working your potential? So, so on a lot of people's report cards, it'll say, so sometimes people like clients will like scan their report cards and upload them in the portal. And I can see where the teacher is saying doesn't work to potential, like starting a kindergarten doesn't sit still talks too much to their neighbors. You know, IQ doesn't match performance, poor handwriting. Cause that's an ADHD thing. Um, so you see all this stuff, but this is stuff we've been told so much or you, or your messy desk is pointed out to the entire classroom, be, you know, which is really inappropriate. Um, so it's, yeah, that stuff becomes internalized. And so we, so we start taking on those voices. So when we start being tough on ourselves, or getting perfectionistic stuff, we hear that teacher or that parent or that other, you know, person that we looked up to, because that's crushing for a kid, right? Like you look up to these figures in your life and they're telling you that there's something wrong with you, but nobody knows how to fix it. Right. So, so then it kind of feels like, and again, I don't want to speak for you, um, but it feels kind of like, well, I'm told there's something wrong with me, but nobody's giving me any tools to figure this out. So unless you have someone that goes, Hey, you know what? I identify this. I know that this might be ADHD um, or uh, people look at, you know what? There's this piece is going well, but let's look at what's not going well. So at least they say, you know, Hey, you know what? You're really good at coming up with ideas. Let's figure out ways that you can kind of help follow through with those. Um, But yeah, I mean, that becomes very internalized. And so we're like, if we get it perfect, maybe, maybe we'll meet that bar. But we've set the bar so high, we sometimes it's just impossible to reach. That that brings me to one of the last questions we actually have on our sheet, which is if someone thinks is is like listening to this and they're like, oh my God, I feel like so seen right now. I had no idea that this leads to ADHD mm-hmm. or this is symptoms of ADHD. What would you say for those listeners to do? Like, what would step one be in that scenario? I think find an ADHD specialist. Um, and I think that mental health professionals that specialize in ADHD, um, or even those that don't specialize in it, but know about it, um, there are assessment tests that we can give you. We can do what I do, what I call a clinical interview, where I talk about your childhood all the way up to the present. I give scales about childhood ADHD, which those symptoms can be difficult to remember, but if you remember even glimpses of it, that helps me. Um, I ask about your family history because it is so highly heritable. Um, and, uh, and I also, you know, again, I have that professionistic evaluation. Um, I also ask about, um, uh, I have a scale that measures anxiety, depression, because that goes along with ADHD so much of the time. And I'll add though, if you have anxiety, it can mitigate or kind of squish down your ADHD symptoms. So you may not look as ADHD, um, on, on, a like a computerized test, if your anxiety yeah. is, is pushing it down. So that's something to be aware of too, is if you have anxiety, you may be just as impaired as people without anxiety, but it doesn't present as much like ADHD. Um, and then I also have an executive function scale. I give people too. Um, so I can pinpoint where you're having the most issues because executive function performance issues can happen with traumatic brain injury. They can happen with depression, anxiety, and ADHD, but it gives me a, an idea of what's the gestalt or what's the, the total picture of your symptoms. Yeah. So, and I'm not sure if that's, if I answered your question. You but, definitely did. Oh my okay. gosh. Definitely. So, did. Yeah. So, so see a, see a specialist. Um, I think that that's always helpful and, um, and also coaching can be really helpful with, you know, let's, I think that the way I kind of portray counseling and coaching is that 
that counseling, we we look at what's going on now, and then we look at some of the past stuff, like yeah. for instance, looking at um, you know what were the messages you heard from your parents and from your and from your teachers and other role models in your life, and then coaching, we get into more looking into because I I do both the the coaching we look more into structure, we look more into um, where do you want to be kind of future focus. And we do that in therapy too, but uh, the big difference is in, in counseling, we may look more at looking into the past stuff because that really influences how we are today. Absolutely. Oh my. And I, that's, mm-hmm. I couldn't agree with more with how you describe it. And I think the best things, and this isn't just from ADHD clients, this is just from clients in general. I see the best pairings is when people do therapy and coaching at the same time. I don't know if you mm-hmm. see that right. as well. And there's research like, backing that up. Yeah. I I believe it. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of people who can be like, oh my God, my, my, my comfort zone kicking in here is because of mm-hmm. this thing here. Oh my, like, and it's just like little mini brain explosions right. left and right. It's so cool. And there's oh, just little things that you can, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was gonna say, I could talk to you for hours, but please keep going. <laughs> like, yeah, well, I was going to say too, there's, there's other things that, that we can do to kind of um, just make ourselves feel like more. I guess, competent in situations. Like, so for example, like if I'm talking to somebody, I know my meds are like, you know, kind of wearing off or I'm like, you know, like I'm distracted. I'll just say, you know, um, I tend to interrupt. So I apologize ahead of time. So I'm just, we're just going to do like a blanket, you know, statement and you can interrupt me and I can interrupt you where everybody's good. Or I'll say, Hey, you know, this is kind of awkward, but, and I'll say the thing. And that really helps, I think, to get out ahead of it. So be an actor rather than a reactor and say, Hey, you know, I tend to interrupt. It's not personal. It's just, you know, I have a lot of ideas in my head and, and I think that can really help if we're just pretty direct with people. Now we don't have to say ADHD because that's our own personal medical information, unless you feel comfortable saying it, but you can say something like if somebody at work says, Hey, you know, can you do X, Y, Z? And you can say, well, would, would you mind just like shooting that an email to me? Uh, because mm-hmm. we need written documentation stuff, not just being told stuff or, um, Hey, can you go run to the store and get this and this? Well, can you, you know, share this on a, you know, an app or can you write it down for me? And those are little ways that we can kind of get out ahead of things. But medication definitely helps, but we also have other things we can do. It's kind of like medication makes it so that we can access the skills. Without medication, it's kind of like we have this toolbox that's rusted shut. And when we get medication on board, it's kind of like the toolbox opens up and we can learn those strategies and, and a lot of those can stick. Yeah. Oh, I see you nodding. Are you, is that full in agreement? Uh, full in agreement. Yeah. I, I mean, I will attest that when I started medication, you know, I've heard the quote before that for folks with ADHD, uh, taking medication for the first time is like putting on glasses for the first time. Exactly. Right. Yeah. We were talking really? about that. Oh yeah. my gosh. I yes. said that. I was yeah. No. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But it, 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 it seriously, it's been life-changing because it's like, oh, so that's what other humans do or at least right, closer yeah. to it. It's, it's right. not perfect, but right. And when people that. trivialize it, that still like irritates me because it's like, no, you have no idea. Like we were talking about before you came in that um, people with ADHD have a shorter lifespan and, you know, higher rate of, of drug and alcohol addiction. And, you know, the medication saves lives. Um, and, and um, it really, you know, the secondary anxiety, depression. So you can be born with the genes for anxiety, depression, develop it, or you can have secondary anxiety, depression, because if you have to work five times harder as everyone else, only get half the amount of work done, anxiety and depression is a pretty common response, right? So, um, and I'm not sure where I was going with that, but um, 
Yeah. So, so tell me the thing you were saying again, because man, I was on a roll and I thought of something that just like, I went on a little track. This is well, on your glasses too. for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I remember the first time I took medication, I cleaned up right after I cooked and I took pictures and sent them to my parents because that was like, <laughs> yeah. or I sat still for 30 seconds. And, you know, yeah. it's something that um, I think that uh, people that may not have ADHD, um, it's, it might be hard to kind of process like what a difference it makes. So this is not like, I've had people say, Oh, it's a performance-based thing. No, it's a quality of life thing. It's like taking insulin for diabetes. It's not something that we, so when I, when I, well, when I work with women that are pregnant and they go into uh, the OBGYN um, and they're told, you know, you need to get off of your stimulant medication. um, It's, and, but, you know, you can say your antidepressant, but this, the stimulant, you don't really need that. So you can get off of it. That's a big issue because that affects quality of life. Oh my you know, not being treated for ADHD increases your rate of suicide. So, so we really need to start taking seriously that stimulant medication is not a performance-based drug. It's a quality of life medication. Yeah. Life-changing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like magnificent quality of life difference. Right. Paradigm Our brains shifting. are working the way they need to work. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Um, I have a question just real okay. quick. Um, sure. So for folks who have, uh, for example, are, are like maybe interested in pursuing, you know, getting treatment or getting evaluated, mm-hmm. um, but have, for example, people in their lives, friends, coworkers, whatever, mm-hmm. um, that are saying, oh, that's like, you don't need to do that. Or, you know, ADHD is a big old myth. Or Everyone something. has ADHD. Yes. Like, and, right. and, and trivializing it to the point that it's like, oh, well, if you're doing this thing, I mean, I've even heard it's like, oh, it's some kind of weakness that you need to go and get. Or you're using you're using medication like a crutch, or you're you know, like that kind of stuff, or an excuse. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that um, I think that the most important thing is to realize that we cannot change other people. That um, that there are going to be people that, for whatever reason, they don't believe that something exists or something happens or. Um, but the important thing is to look at what's best for us. I know also by culture too, in some cultures, you don't, you do not see a mental health professional. Like you just don't do that. Um, so part of it is like, it takes a lot of courage to kind of break away from that and say, you know what, I need help. I'm not able to do this on my own. Um, and some of it can be education. Like Chad, uh, is the big national ADHD, um, organization chadd.org and they have an annual conference every year i think this year it's in in november in dallas um and it's really cool being around your people like you know like at at the hotels because it's the first time it's been in person in like two years uh because the virus but um but you go to the 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 front desk and they just have a, in one hotel, a stack of room keys because everybody's losing their room keys. Um, and you get on the elevator, nobody remembers what, what floor they're on. Um, so it's like my people, you know, it's amazing. amazing. So I think that, That's incredible. Yeah. And so I think once you get involved in that community, you meet other people like you, I think that the people yeah. that are naysayers to it and you can educate them, but still at the end of the day, we can't fix them. I think the more people that you meet that have it, I think it's so validating to know that this is a medical medical condition, just like anything else. Um, and, 
And you can, you know, say, here's some, here's some resources for you. Here's some websites. And also keep in mind too, when you're talking to your family and they may not um, kind of believe in ADHD for lack of a better word, um, it may be that they actually have symptoms. And when that mirror is shown back on you, it can be pretty scary for people. So it may actually be that they're noticing that they have symptoms because this came from somebody in your family, right? So, um, so I think that it's it's something that we have to look at. It's like it may be shining some light on some things that they may have kind of had to push down to go on with life, or they're having to face not being able to work to their potential and figure out why. So, so that's part of it too, is that the mirror is kind of being held up and that's, that's really hard for people. Um, so I think that, that you do what's best for you and best for your health. And the more I think you educate yourself by ADHD and just, again, not you in particular, um, but look at what ADHD is and isn't and finding information from reputable places like Chad, their information has all been vetted by professionals. Um, so I think, so it's chadd.org. Um, and, um, and I think that we just go, you know what, we're going to share this information with people, but if they don't buy into it, that may be hard for us to hear, but also we know that, you know, that we're doing better now that's been diagnosed and that's, that's that hard. Such a mic. That was such a mic drop of an answer. It was so, so good. That was so good. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thank you. Well, I know, I know a lot of people needed to hear that. Thank you for asking that question. That was yeah. really good. Now, now my question is, have you ever been on the podcast before? Is this your first time? I was going to say, this podcast? is the first. <laughs> Welcome Brett Holloman. You've yes. heard about him. Uh, oh, and by the way, you're Brett. getting a golden retriever. She will fill you in later. I'll fill you in. It. Yeah. We got so. I'll, I'll tell you later. <laughs> I'm thrilled. <Surprise>. I'm <laughs> static. Um what? <laughs> I'll tell you later. No, I'll good, tell no, you later. No, no, seriously. I'm, I just want to throw I'm that like, in there. <laughs> You have to understand, I am one of the biggest dog people on the planet. He's basically a dog in a human body. Yeah, so yes. I sent, I, I gave you a link for golden retrievers that there's a golden retriever in my family that um, is wonderful. So I sent you the link for the, so there you go. And now everybody in your podcast knows. <laughs> Not being held accountable. Now we're going to be checking it. Did you get a dog yet? Did you get a dog yet? Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sure oh, you'll send me pictures if you get one, so. I 10 out of 10 will. Oh my goodness. Hey, did we get a dog yet? I will not <laughs> oh my goodness. Gold retrievers are kind of ADHD, so um, <laughs> well, they're you know, just like our can, Brittany can and tell, Dalmatians. Hmm? Can you tell um listeners about the, the fish? Because that blew my sure. mind. So so I was at a conference. This is probably like eight or nine years ago now. I was at a or maybe no longer than that. It's been over 10 now, maybe even 15 years. Um, there is a researcher that they are able to, so they've isolated out genes that cause ADHD. Um, and they bred zebra fish, which are these little tiny stripey guys. That's the best way I can describe when they're fish with stripes on them. Like, like the hand zebra. signal that went along um, with it. Yeah, little zebra fishing guys. The, yeah. The, the so, um, yeah, so they had, um, so they, they genetically modified the fish to have basically ADHD. Um, and the idea is that um, ADHD is a biological, neurobiological disorder. So you see it in dogs, cats, tigers, probably penguins, you know, whatever, if it's living, you have a chance of having ADHD. So, um, and in this case, it was a zebra fish. And so they had non-ADHD and ADHD zebra fish in uh, like a, a 
a bowl maybe, or it was something that you could shine, you know, you could like, like put the camera right above it. So you could see like how they were moving and they had a light source that turned on on one side of the bowl and all the ADHD fish immediately went towards the light source because novelty, right? Novelty and stimuli. That's like what gets us all happy. Right. And then the other fish were kind of hanging out, probably going like, what's up with the other fish. And then they turn on a light. And so they turn off that light, turn on the light on the other side and all the ADHD fish ran over to that light. And then they did it again. The ADHD fish went over the light and the other fish are kind of like, what's up with this. Right. So that tells you a little bit about how, how genetic and biological this is that it's, it can be an all living creatures, just like all living creatures can have depression and anxiety. Yeah. And, and I want to bring up something too, that you mentioned, like when people say like, oh, everybody has ADHD. Well, yeah, everybody has symptoms of anxiety, depression, ADHD, yeah. bipolar disorder at, at some point in their lives, because we're human, right? We have a range of emotions and, and expressions of those. But when you have symptoms that occur to this intensity and frequency, and they impact your quality of life, you have life impairment from them, then we're talking about meeting the end of the spectrum that's ADHD. So yeah, everybody loses their key sometimes. Everybody forgets stuff sometimes. But again, when it becomes something that is life impairing, then that qualifies as a disorder. Mm-hmm. With like technology, especially like the attention span we now have with technology, it's like definitely heightened those those symptoms. So it's right. Like, it doesn't, like I've seen people right. go for it. Well, it doesn't cause them. So I've, I've been asked that too. It's like, well, if it wasn't for TikTok and YouTube and all that. Now, ADHD has been around at least like the first documented case of it was in the 1400s. So, uh, yes. and it wasn't called ADHD back then, uh, but these symptoms have been around a long time. So yeah. um, so what what that the different algorithms do is that for people without ADHD, it's like you can get sucked into TikTok anyway. Um, but for people with ADHD, it, it does it even more. So it's more intense. And if you look at kind of like Sesame street, so uh, my mom said, when I met Sesame street, I dropped Mr. Rogers, like a hot potato because, you know, (laughs) Mr. Rogers, like would put his Mr. Rogers, great. One of the probably most amazing human beings on the face of the earth. Um, but my brain probably was like, he's putting his shoes on and then he's going to his trolley. And I probably was kind of over it. And my mom said, then I saw Sesame street Muppets letters going, you know, shorter segments of education. And my mom said, mm-hmm. I was told, and I'm still, I'm totally into Muppets. So it's, it's that thing that the ADHD brain really, really likes all kids like it, but, but kids with ADHD were getting glued to it yeah. because it's, it's that constant reinforcement. It's learning, it's movement, um, it's color changes, it's changes in topic. So it's all the stuff that we like. And that's exactly kind of what TikTok does, right? It tells you yeah. well, through the algorithm. I mean, the algorithm is smart, right? I mean, they do that so you they get views. They're they're not dumb. So it's um so it's showing us stuff exactly what we want to see. And also for people with ADHD, if you feel like you haven't really been seen or people don't understand you, and all of a sudden TikTok sends you a video of exactly what you've been thinking of, that can be really reinforcing. So, so it's something that doesn't cause ADHD, but it can really trigger all the stuff that we like, just like gaming, positive reinforcement, you earn tokens for rising up through levels, right? You solve puzzles. Um, So, so that's the ADHD brain really craves positive reinforcement. And that's what that does. So, and that gets into, we need to get positive reinforcement to ourselves and we need to really get it from our partners, from our, our, our employers. You know, we need to hear that we're doing a good job. 
You're doing a good job. Thanks, honey. You're welcome. <laughs> well, well, I'll bring up a, a, a thing. couples therapy. I, I work quite a bit with couples where one person's ADHD and one person's not. By the way, a really good book for couples. And again, I'm not directing this to you. No, but for couples I, where one I have person my, my is one list. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so uh, couples where one person is and one person isn't, there's a really good book called ADHD After Dark by uh, Dr. Ari Tuckman, T-U-C-K-M-A-N. And that talks about sex life and ADHD um, and just po- the importance of positive reinforcement throughout the day yeah. uh, makes a difference in sex life with ADHD. Um, so there's that's an important book. Um, and he, he actually does study with people with one person without one person with ADHD. Melissa Orloff or LOV has a really good um, uh, ADHD in marriage uh, Ooh, website okay. and also teleseminar that she does. That's been really helpful for people. Um, I believe her site is ADHDmarriage.com. I think so. Um, I think we've been so there's that, that before. Now that I think about it, that's what I've heard that. Yeah. I've definitely heard that name before. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank she you. has a, she has has a one book question too. I forgot to ask. Yeah. Oh, what was the question? I was going to say that that was a question I forgot to ask. If like, if you're in a partnership and one person has, and one person doesn't have, like, what are some resources or what are some things you can right. do to really support each other, or understand what that person's going through? Cause I remember when he first mm-hmm. was diagnosed or when he was first getting diagnosed, I like had no idea. I was like, Oh, ADHD is just ADD. Right. And ADD kids get fidget, fidget spinners. Like I just wasn't educated on it. Right. And now it's just like such a different relationship with it. And I still feel like I have so much to learn. There are so many what webinars you like attitude as webinars, A-D-D-I-T-U-D-E. So instead of attitude, it's attitude. Um, That's then one. there's also, they have webinars, chat has several webinars. Um, so a lot of it's just education's power. Ooh, and, great. and also sometimes you just, um, I'll say too, like people ask me like, which relationship is more successful when we're two people have ADHD or one doesn't, one doesn't. And it's the same rate of success with both. It's just different dynamics. So, um, so overall people with ADHD tend to have more relationship dissatisfaction. People are with them have more relationships dissatisfaction, but when you educate about ADHD and you get help together and you individually get help. And again, I'm not directing this at you. Um, just globally, um, it can really decrease that relationship dissatisfaction because it's really hard not to take it personally when, you know, you tell someone with ADHD to go get some in the store and they don't get it. Right. Cause sometimes non-ADHD partner will say, well, if you cared about me in the relationship, you would, you know, remember to do X, Y, and Z because that's important to me. But when it, it's just that the, it's not that the brain doesn't want to do it. It can't. Yeah. And that's also where treatment helps too, because with medication, the stuff your brain can't do now, it can. Yeah. And you can also sometimes in relationships get into a parent-child dynamic, Um, not intentionally, but if you have someone with ADHD that is really having a hard time, sometimes the other person starts taking over things for them. um, And then the criticism starts building when it's really important. And again, you know, treatment and then um, positive reinforcement. Like I worked with this couple that he forgot to take the trash can to the curb on Wednesdays. And she said to him, you know, out of all the stuff I do, you could at least like take the trash can to the curb. And he's like, I can't do it. He goes, I don't remember when it's Wednesday and I don't remember to take the trash can out. And so I said, okay, so how about this? I go, are you okay with just a picture of the trash can on the fridge? Cause he go to the fridge every morning for a creamer for his coffee. So I said, just have Wednesday on there and then have a calendar where you cross off the days. And it says Wednesday. I go, do you feel comfortable with that? He goes, that would be amazing. Right. So, and I said to her, I said, so when he takes the trash can down the curb, you need to thank him. And she said, why should I thank him for something that he should do already? 
I said, because it works. Anytime we show appreciation or gratitude, positive reinforcement, whatever you focus on grows. So Wednesday rolled around, he saw the trash can picture. He saw that it was Wednesday on the calendar. She thanked him and he never forgot again. So positive reinforcement works. And I usually tell parents and, you know, people overall that it's important to have at least a six to one ratio. If you do one criticism, you have to have six positives. The ideal is 10 to one, but we also need to be real realistic too. So yeah, you yeah. Know, one to six ratio. Oh, my mind is just blown. It's, it's so like, I mean, I, I can think of so many moments for, for us, for people. I know that's like the second, the positive reinforcement started, it was like a different relationship, mm-hmm. even like a different, like mother, daughter, parent, like parent, son, right. whatever it was. And it's just, everybody I, I, wants it's to just be so good hearing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it could, and, and it could, doesn't have to be like task-based. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be like, hey, you unload the dishwasher. Like that. You can also say, hey, I really like the way that you're just kind and gentle with, you know, yeah. with dogs and cats or whatever the thing is, right? It doesn't have to be a performance-based thing. In fact, it really helps to add in just things about someone's character too. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I could talk to you for hours and I want to be so respectful of your time because we've already been <laughs> It's um, Friday. It's okay. So thank you so much. I can't, I really, I'm so glad both I cannot of you thank could, you enough. Oh yeah. I'm so glad both of you could attend. Yeah. And enjoy your puppy. This, this is incredible. Better. I mean, to be able to have you on here, to be able to ask questions, that was <laughs> amazing. I want to um, give listeners where they can find you, where they can find your books and your new book coming sure. out, all the things. Sure. So it's a uh, stephaniesarkis.com. And the two latest books are Gaslighting and then the Toxic Relationships one comes out in uh, July, so next month. Um, And those were created because people with ADHD were reporting to me, a lot of them were saying that they were experiencing emotional abuse. And Gaslighting was part of that because ADHD, unfortunately, in abusive relationships can be weaponized and uh, it can turn into something like um, the abusive person saying, well, you can't be trusted because you have ADHD. So you need to give me control of your finances, or you need to give me control of what goes on at the house. Or um, so it's, it's used as a way to get power and control over people. So, so that's why I wrote the book is, is to help people that are in those types of relationships um, because people with ADHD, unfortunately are more susceptible to abuse like that because of issues with self-esteem issues with feeling like we don't have stuff under control. So if someone says, Hey, I can handle all this for you. It can, it can unconsciously be a draw for us. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's where the toxic relationships, so it's healing from toxic relationships. That's that book. So it's kind of like what happens when you leave the relationship, how do you rebuild? So, oh so that's gosh, available at stephaniesarkis.com. So it's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-S-A-R-K-I-S. And I've also got the YouTube channel and, you know, social media stuff, and you can find all that on the website. So, and it links directly to the books too. So that's the Amazon link. You can go right to Amazon. So, and then there's also the, the, the main, I think, I've, is it seven books in ADHD, six books in ADHD? Um, the, the kind of like, pillar one, like the most prominent one is um, 10 simple solutions to adult ADD. So that one um, is also available on the site. There's also one for newly diagnosed. There's one about finances and ADHD, uh, money management um, that I co-wrote with uh, an attorney financial expert. So you get the therapy piece and then the, the finance piece. Um, and, uh, and then also one about college and then I have a workbook for clinicians on executive functions, which can also be helpful for people that aren't clinicians too. So, 
So that's you are doing stuff. the Lord's work, Stephanie. I swear. <laughs> oh my God. Hey, I mean, so I, the most important thing is just helping people because a lot of people mm-hmm. are suffering with ADHD. You know, it's, it's, it's something that is, is, um, you know, like we talked about, it's, it's life altering yeah. and it can be multi-generational. You know, the trauma that people have gone through. We're also more susceptible to developing PTSD after trauma due to specific genetic markers that people with ADHD have. So it's really important that we, you know, learn about it and, and have it treated appropriately and more people, more clinicians learn about treatment of it. So the more people I can help, the better. Oh my God. You're helping and enjoy your puppy. I'm ready to see your puppy because you're totally oh going to get a golden retriever puppy now. I will send you a photo the second we get him because I'm, okay. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. Thank you so, so, so much for being on the show. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. This and we've got everything from puppies to ADHD. I mean, like we, you know, it's perfect. We got it. On a perfectionist, I probably shouldn't say perfect on a perfectionism podcast. It was, it was, it was really great. It was wonderful. <laughs> Splendid. Hoorah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so, so much, much for having me on the podcast. It was so nice meeting both of you. I I still have no words. Brett and I still talk about the impact this conversation had on us and how Sarkis, Dar- Stephanie just really is just such a light in this world. I'm so grateful to have had her on the show. You guys, you can learn all about our services on her website, drstephaniesarkis.com. I'll also put the link in the show notes. Um, and go follow her on Instagram. You see pictures of her delightful dogs on there. It's amazing. She's at Sarkis PhD. Again, link is in the show notes. Also go check out her new book, Healing from Toxic Relationships at stephaniesarkis.com. Um, it comes out late July, so you can go ahead and pre-order it right now, especially if you've been dealing with things on that topic. I think that this is an extremely impactful book. And just, I mean, even just reading the description, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing information. And Brett and I have already pursued her list of books on her website and picked out like 15, probably actually five, but five that we want to immediately dive into. So she is just a wealth of information. And if this episode was informative, was helpful, was just a really good listen, please share it with a friend or share it on social media and tag both myself and Sarkis PhD. Both again, her Instagram link is in the show notes and my handle is at life coach Baker. Now, before we wrap up this incredible episode, um, reminder, we have the free three productivity secrets. You cannot afford to miss masterclass. It is coming your way June 23rd. And I've already started mapping out the masterclass and I'm like, Oh my God, I cannot wait to share this because these three things not only have completely changed my life, opened up hours upon hours upon hours in my work week, not to fill it with more things. I think that that's really important to highlight here. I don't open up time to fill it with more things. I fill, I open up that time to do more of the things that I love. And sometimes that's resting. Sometimes that's going swimming. Sometimes that's going hiking, going on a date. And sometimes it's just laying down and being a human. Like it's really important to realize that productivity is not shoving more things into your bag. It's not shoving more of what to do or we're so busy. It's not being more busy. It's opening up more time for you to do the things that you love to do. And these three things that we're going to cover in depth in the masterclass are 
three things that, again, have changed my life. But also I look at my clients and I'm like, wow, these are three things that they've implemented and completely changed their life while not invading their high achiever mindsets. I think that's really important. You can still be a high achiever and have open time in your week. This is kind of like the secret to happiness from everything I've read and everything I've experienced from high achieving mindsets. So I'm really excited for this masterclass. It's going to be jam-packed with info. Again, go and save your seat. You can save your seat at lifecoachbaker.com forward slash productivity, or you can also click the link in the show notes, but I so hope to see you guys there. Again, it's totally free. There will be a replay available if you cannot make it live, no problem. I'm just so unbelievably excited. Until next time, my sweet, beautiful friends, go enjoy and enjoy Stephanie Sarkis' books. They're amazing. I love you all and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Life Coach Baker podcast. Don't forget to go take the free quiz and find out what perfectionist type you are by visiting the link in the show notes or by going to lifecoachbaker.com forward slash quiz. Also, take a moment to rate the podcast and write a review. It is the best way to get the word out there. Plus, you'll get the chance of having your review read on the show. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.